You want to start it this yeah. time? I don't okay. mind starting it if you don't want to start it. No? Well, here we go. Okay. Okay. Welcome to episode three of the Wirelessing podcast. Thank you so much for listening and coming with us on this journey. I'm Liam Douglas, your host, and my co-host here is my father, Barry Douglas. Hi. I thought we, you know, we were going to struggle with this podcast and finding what to talk about, but we have, we have plenty, plenty to talk about. And uh, this one, we're going to be talking about just, you know, different concerts, you know, what went wrong, what went, you know, what went great. And just the, you know, the crazy stories that no one really hears about, you know. And I just have one question here. Just I thought it'd be great to ask you, you know, what was the moment where you thought uh, when you were starting out where it's just, oh, I'm really proud of this. Or, you know, even if there was a moment where you thought this is, you know, it's cringeworthy you know it's funny we've been talking that last couple of podcasts about beginning and then the things that go wrong getting to the concert hall or the studio yeah but you get on stage and you walk on stage the applause is there you sit down and so many things can go wrong just right from that moment yeah <laughs> and the thing is as you walk on stage you haven't a clue what's going to happen it's the total unknown yeah but I have found, as a rule of thumb, that if you're sick, especially with flu symptoms, you play brilliantly. This really does work. This is not to try out at home. <laughs> don't get sick. Don't and get then infected. Go out and play. <laughs> don't get infected and become a player, a musician. No. So I was about 21 years of age, and I got my first piano recital in the wonderful Fairfield Halls in Croydon, in South London, south of London. And a beautiful old concert hall, great acoustic, fantastic stage. It just It's one of those welcoming halls where some of the new halls these days, they seem a little bit antiseptic and laboratory-like and they're amazing acoustics, but the, the, the warmth sometimes is missing from these new halls. And the warmth in the Fairfield Hall, I mean, you can feel it on stage, the audience can feel it. Yeah, it's old. I, I haven't been in it now for a while, but I used to do a lot of concerts there. Yeah. But my first recital, it was a lunchtime piano recital, and I was playing, I think it was Beethoven, but I, was, I knew, it, I was playing Schumann Fantasy, this most amazing piece that Schumann wrote. And it was all about his passion for, for Clara. He was in love with Clara, and then he married Clara, and she was the most incredible pianist. So he wrote this fantasy as a kind of love hymn to her. Yeah. And I always had problems with that piece because I could never make the second movement be right, which is this kind of upbeat, almost a little bit martial, but it's got a middle section which is meltingly beautiful. And then this incredibly solemn and almost an, an anthem to Clara's in the third movement. So there are three movements, three three parts to this piece. And I had terrible flu symptoms. I had flu, basically. On your first recital? My first recital, at lunchtime. So Did I, you almost cancel? No. 
you know, I was young and hungry. Now I'm old and hungry. You're just <laughs> eff it, you know, let's so go for it. The show must go on. I'd heard that somewhere. And so I walked on stage and because I was sick and I was so scared of coughing or sneezing or sweating or falling over. Yeah. I didn't think about the problems of playing the Schumann fantasy. Mm. And it went brilliantly. I walked off on a high. And I have that tape somewhere, you know, to this day. And uh, I haven't listened to it. I, I, I did after the event, you know, at the time. Yeah. And it's exactly the way I want to play this. It's exactly the way anybody should play it. It's my interpretation while having flu symptoms when you're 21. <laughs> Period. <laughs> the best you ever played is when you're sick. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Actually, another time you weren't sick, but, you know, tying in with last episode, you know, with we talked about, you know, different injuries that we had, you know, and me pulling my back muscle, but you broke your shoulder. Yes. Right? Or no, it was a fracture. Yeah, it was a fracture. It was a fracture. And the, the torn tendons are you okay talking about this yes it's a bit sensitive really. <laughs> but no you didn't know that it I've happened. had a twinge my shoulders just twinged in disgust <laughs> you didn't know that you had broken your shoulder yeah i i had taken fergus you know it was early first in the of morning. all it wasn't in a car crash or anything like that or a bike accident it was just in the comfort of your own home i was entering Take it away i was entering our abode and i slipped on a wet leaf is that what it was? I thought yeah. you slipped on the doormat or something. No, I slipped on a wet leaf on on the porch, on the step, and yeah. I so it's came just over. the ground, and then there's a step, and then it's yeah. into the house. Yeah. yeah, and it's a tiled step. I slipped on these wet leaves and went over my left shoulder, and I, I, my shoulder hit the the metal the door lip, frame. Yeah, the lip that sticks That's up uh, under the door. Under the door, yeah. and I crunch, and. It, I was in agony. And Wait, that, did you get up fine or did you stay there for a bit and, you know, No, I, I got scream. up. I wanted to just check that everything was okay. And so I rushed into the house and I said, what the hell am I going to do? Because I had a rehearsal that day with the orchestra in Belfast, the Ulster Orchestra. We were playing Rachmaninoff's second concerto and the concert was the day after. We had two concerts, Derry on the Thursday, Belfast Friday. This was the Wednesday. And I didn't know if I could play the piece. So I went in to the piano room and said, I said to my piano, I call her Dorabella. I said to Dorabella, please help me, please help me. <laughs> so I sat down. Now, anybody who knows the beginning of the Rachmaninoff second piano concerto, it starts with these slow chords. Of there's course. a chord. Of course. And then there's a very low note. So, and there are eight of them. Yeah. So chord, low note, chord, low note. And that journey from the chord of my left arm down to the low note was laced with swear words. Oh. It started with, oh my God. In the beginning, Boom. could you feel it? Could you feel, you know, a bit of pain or an ache or something? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, it was, and then it was when aching. you moved, you extended your arm over. That's I couldn't when make it's... that loose lateral moves. I couldn't do it. And even, was it worse for you when you were conducting? Because your arms are always out, you're always. I didn't you know. have. I didn't have to conduct for a couple of months, and then it had got a bit. I had to conduct somewhere. I can't remember where it was, and I basically. Oh, I did have to conduct. I had to you conduct did. Camerata in Dublin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I remember late May. Exactly. Twenty nineteen. That was. And I was just and saying because you said you played so well when you were sick, but you know you didn't. You didn't know at this point. No, I conducted with my right hand. I hardly used my left hand. 
Yeah. That's when, wait, when did you find out that it was broken? Well, anyway, so I found out later because I, you know, went to a specialist in Paris. Yeah. You know? But, you know, facing that rehearsal, I mean, it was the slowest Rachmaninoff second on I mean, record. The, the, uh, the day of. <laughs> that was the rehearsal. Then the next day I said, with adrenaline, it'll be okay in the concert. But the Derry concert wiped me out. That yeah. was on the Thursday. The next day, the day after I fell. Then the one in Belfast, I felt that I was getting better and it was easier. But what was happening is my mind was telling my adrenaline canister to really throw more adrenaline at this. Yeah. So it went really well. And I managed to do some of those real fast lateral movements because that's what Rachmaninoff in the left hand, you're always darting up and down the keyboard with the yeah. left hand, not yeah. so much the right hand. And so I got back to the dressing room and this wonderful friend of mine who used to be the chair of Camerata, Brian Johnson, he came into the room. He said, you look like death. I said, I feel like death. <laughs> anyway, I got through it and uh, it, it went really, really well. Uh, and then later on in the summer, I decided to, to get x-rays and, and scans. And I went to the one of the best you know, musician specialists in the world who happens to be, have a clinic in Paris. And uh, he said, you've, you've torn tendons, you've got the fracture we see. He was looking at the x-ray and the scan. He said, wait until the bones knit together and that will happen. And then come back and see me. You probably have to have an operation. So I went back. So that was in August. I went back in December yeah. to get more scans. And the clinic doing the scans in Paris said, those bones have knit perfectly and your tendons are- In one are, month, yeah. No, then that was- uh, wait, August He to, said, wait four months. So wait was four August, months. And I went back in December. And so it was okay. She said, you don't need an, uh, an operation at all. It's fine. Okay. So, but I still have pain to this day. I couldn't touch my head with my left arm. I couldn't touch the shower, you know, on, you know, on top in, in the shower cubicle. I couldn't do that. Mm. Now I can sort of do it. It's still a little bit, still a little bit rusty. Anyway- Wait, can you feel when it's cold? Just beware of wet leaves. Can you leaves. feel pain? <laughs> wet leaves. Can you, when it's cold, do you feel um Yeah, you pain feel that aches way? and pains more in the cold, yeah. Yeah. That's true, yeah. Jeez. But, uh, I mean, musicians are remarkably resourceful and uh, no matter what's thrown at them, they, they're trying to... Try yeah, to, they rise to the occasion, yeah, yeah and just and often get the it's job a, done. Uh, often it's a kind of, uh, it spurs you on to greater heights, you know. But even in any profession, you know, I mean, I mean, my perception of, you know, I mean, you're a concert pianist, but, you know, classical musicians in general, I thought they're all pretty um, pressy. Yes, it's true. I'm, I'm afraid. <laughs> Big sissies. Except me. Come on, suck it up. You know, me having a torn, a torn muscle in my back and you know, crying out. Um, but I, I always thought, you know, they're all you know, presses, you know, it's Jesus, mm. you know, suck it up. But I mean, car accident and, you know, you know, motorbike accident, you know, getting hit by a motorbike, that's pretty, you know, James Bond or, you know, Indiana Jones, you know. Yeah. I had a very demanding publicist. But, but then <laughs> you slip on a leaf and you land back where I knew you were meant to be. And it was eight in the morning, so it wasn't anything to do with rosé wine. It was all completely sober. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I mean, the stage is a fantastic place. The, the stage is our friend, you know. You go out on the stage and it's your domain and 
no one can come up and attack you, you know, or hopefully they won't come up and attack you. And you can make great music and the public is there. The audience wants to hear great music and it's it's brilliant. Mm. So I love I love just walking out on stage. It's just, you know, I mean, it's before I walk out on stage, it's, it's horrifying. But once oh, I'm on the stage, it's do you okay. ever get nervous? You get nervous a yeah, little bit. Yeah, we, everybody get, anybody who says they don't get nervous, they're either cold as cucumber, <laughs> not cool as cucumber, really cold. Uh, I was about to say I don't get nervous, or 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 they, but I do, or they're lying. I do get nervous, but I always think you know this is what I want to do. This is why I'm doing it. I mean, why would I worry about you know making mistakes? I mean, it's just this is what I want to do. Enjoy it. Who cares if you make a mistake? No one's necessarily going to notice it, you know, if you do. But you could think that you can you make a hundred mistakes in you know, one minute, but no one would even bat an eyelid and say, you know, that was terrible. So, um, I, I mean, I, that's I, why I love Led Zeppelin yeah. is just because they, they, I mean, not that they made mistakes, but they did, they just didn't care if they made a mistake. They just, you know, they knew that it shouldn't affect you. You should keep going and just, and that's why I, you know, I admire Jimmy Page because he, he didn't, you know, he dared to make a mistake and just keep going and just not, give it I'm not gonna say <laughs> that's right you, you know you can't look in the rear view mirror don't if you make a, a mistake yeah you, you just don't look back you keep looking forward yeah forget the rear view mirror so it's good to be nervous and you know worrying about making a mistake you know it's fine um I never make mistakes by the way well <laughs> <laughs> maybe off stage but it's I mean we we talked about you know what you were proud of you know I mean being sick and going on stage and everything but was there ever you know a, a concert where it was just you know oh this could go really really wrong I remember there was a time when your piano stool almost fell off the stage as you were sitting on it right was that you yeah that's right because when I conduct from from you know if I'm playing the piano and conducting an orchestra whether it's my orchestra Camerata Ireland or any orchestra yeah you're facing the orchestra so your back is to the audience so your stool is right at the edge of the stage so you have to be very careful that you're not because if you get really excited and play and you, and you push back you could end up in, in somebody's lap yeah. <laughs> you, know? So, you know a point you know of order here a point to be taken into account don't have your stool too near the edge of the stage mm. but uh, no I mean Things go wrong, you know. I mean, I, I did a, a recital as a student in St. Mary's Hospital, Paddington. It was a, for a charity. Yeah. And um, the pedals fell off in the last moment. Um, so things happen and you just get on with it. We'll get to you in a bit, you know, about the, you know, the pedals on the piano. But uh, I'm going to tell my story about falling off the stage. Okay. Okay. I'm all ears. You ready? You, you haven't heard this before. No, I haven't. Not many people know this. I mean, in your, you know, side of, you know, classical and me for rock, you know, usually for a band, you usually have to book the venue yourself and promote it yourself and do all that marketing on social media and everything. And then you prepare, you know, and rehearse and do everything towards this, you know, gig. And this is what I do. I think it was this time last year and we were playing in Fibber McGee's in Dublin and my bass player came down early. You know, he lives, you know, here in Northern Ireland in this town. So we came down early during the day and we decided, okay, we'll practice first just together. 
and then he'll leave his car at my house and then we'll just you know go out and just we're close to the venue because it's all the way up in north dublin near connolly station and so we decided okay we'll go close enough and just sit in a pub or something we went to sheehan's you know sheehan's yeah we've been there a few times and great food yeah but uh, we were going to we we were going to go eat, but then we ended up going somewhere else. But we decided, okay, we'll have one drink, just a pint of Guinness, you know, and then yeah. we'll we'll go off, get some food, and then go to the gig. What's that other place you have a great pint of Guinness near Bim, near Fallons? Is it Fallons? Oh, Fallons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I John like Fallons. I yeah, like yeah. Sheen's. I like Fallons. Yeah. So we had one, and then we ended up latching on with this group, and. We just had a great time, and then we lost track of time. This was around four. We were going on to play our gig. You know, we, we were meant to play 40 to 50 minutes in Fibber McGee's, you know, and we, I think we were going on at half eight or something, or maybe half, or maybe nine. This was around four or five, and we just lost track of time and just, you know, started having fun with all these people, and just, uh, we ended up staying there for two hours, and then we were on our, we, we got a burger. I can't remember the place, but it was one of the, greatest progress you could ever have i mean it was amazing then we went to another bar on the way we thought oh we're a bit early we'll go to another bar and then we started having you know whiskeys and gin and tonic uh, gin and tonics and and then our singer you know this is becky in the keys becky arrived there with our drummer and they're saying where are you you know but it's an hour before we just you know want to be there early of course be there early like we always have to, you know, be doing, you know, be professional. And then we showed up roaring drunk <laughs> into Fubu McGee's. And we said, we're playing, please let us in. So we got in and, okay, we got up on stage. We made it to the stage. We plugged in, you know, tuned up. I had guitar pills. I set them all out. And if you don't arrange guitar pills in the right way, then the wiring of, you know, the guitar with the amp, it won't come out right. And I was surprised I got that right. So good but we played you know 40 to 50 minutes you know and i think we were doing i mean we called the encore you know so we do we do two covers we have all originals and then two covers and we were at the second cover and i think it was you know bruce springsteen you know dancing in the dark the full rock version of it you know and then we're going to play our last song which is one of ours and then halfway through dancing in the dark of you know bruce springsteen song and um not that we were dancing all in the dark or anything but i tripped on a wire because it's not a big stage in fibra mcgee's and i tripped on a wire and i just fell off the stage i didn't break anything what kind of drop are we talking about here it wasn't a big drop right it's you see the height of you see this desk all right so it's about a meter not too bad i i landed I can't remember how I landed. It's just, I was so... <laughs> and uh, the other question. About it's the worst two experience that I have ever had on stage. Give me the measurements. Because I can't of, remember. The measurements of the drop and the, the material that you landed on. Was it carpet or hard stuff? It, it was wood. It was wood. Yeah. Right. At least it wasn't metal. Hard floor. Yeah. Uh, it, it wasn't a great experience. So, and ever since... I don't want to drink before I go up on stage, but if I do, I only have one or two. I won't start day drinking. I mean, that's See, the worst thing for musicians, me. 
I never ever take anything before. I just, I mean, even I mean, I could probably get away with it, but I just would feel so horrible about it. Yeah. Whereas rock stars and trad musicians, Irish trad musicians, I mean, and jazz, I mean, they can have a few drinks and they're fine. Yeah, you see, so for us, still, it's just, oh, we don't care. We'll go up and have some yeah. fun, play some rock and roll, you know, whatever. You know, we just can't do it. It just doesn't work. Your fingers don't work. And after the second drink, your ear is not actually hearing the sounds in the correct way. Yeah, That's, it lowers, you know, the sound. Yeah, it's like yeah. compression, you know, on a song or, you know. Yeah. Uh, I wait until afterwards, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> of course. But yeah, uh, you can. If I do drink, I know I can get to a certain level and know I have control over everything. You know, if I just want to have a good time, but just have control over everything, that's why I drink whiskey because mm. it's I can have a level of control. Whiskey? Yeah. Yeah, I don't really drink whiskey, but my God, Jameson. It's it's uh, strong, isn't it? <laughs> well, I, I have it with you know um, Diet Coke or something. Right. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, that's I think that's my worst experience I ever had, and I don't want it to happen again. But other experiences with you know gigs in Dublin or no, I had one in Belfast. It was right before Christmas, and it was so cold outside, you know, and it started snowing and everything. And we showed up, and no one was there. No one showed up for our gig. Oh my god! I mean, not that we can you know draw an audience or anything like that. It's just it was for that time we usually we usually would get you know a good crowd you know that are in the bar or something or you know want to you know come in and listen like in Whelan's we had a good crowd yeah tell us about Whelan's because that's pretty big stuff there's Whelan's in Dublin and there's Whelan's. a button factory oh I played the button factory yes I yeah, know yeah. but these are two two of the, the most important venues for music in, in yeah, Dublin I forgot about the, yeah the and then button what's the, factory. What, what's the yeah, one yeah, that's yeah. near you know the, near the market in the Liberties on Thomas Street because I played there once. You played there? Yes. You know comedians play there a lot. I know. I was there. American comedians play there. Everybody plays I played there. a yeah, fundraiser. I played um, a fundraiser for Irish piano tuners who wanted to go tune pianos in Cuba. Yeah. Now, I'm not making this up. Yeah. I raised money for people like Paul, the wonderful Paul, we piano technician in concert hall in Dublin, to go to Cuba to teach Cuban piano tuners how to tune their pianos. And I did a fundraiser. And it was in that place. It's it's all black and there's tables and you know, lots of famous comedy acts as you say and and rock stars have been there and you know. Well, the Button Factory it was with college and it was just for all the college students and everything and so much fun and we were last on, I mean and we called ourselves oh we're the headliner and everything. It was the last song we played, Paradise City by Guns N' Roses. And we played that song in the Button Factory, you know, I think two months later. And then we crowd surfed and everything. And it was just, oh, wow, I'm actually going to do it. I'm actually going to, I can do this, be a musician and everything. It, it was that moment. I mean, after seeing Noel Gallagher and, you know, the Rolling Stones and everything, you know, after the fact, but actually being there and playing a song full on to, you know, a crowd, yeah, I mean, even though there were other students, but it's just, it was a moment just that, wow, this is it. It's happening and I don't need to see it to believe it. I believe, you know, to see it in a way, you know, I, I believe I can do it so it will happen. And then we played with my other band a year later. Oh no, two years later, Whelan's. I had played Whelan's before with another band, which was great, big crowd. And then with Becky and the Keys, we played Whelan's again. And um, 
uh, it was great. I mean, that's great. The great thing about Dublin is the variety of venues. I mean, from the big board, gosh, you know, incredible mega theatre yeah. where they get the big shoes in and do the opera and everything through the concert hall and all these other wonderful venues, you know, yeah. in little neighbourhoods and, and but, people uh, love them. Yeah. Also, I worked part time in the National Concert Hall and I remember before I moved to Dublin, we were always coming down and you were playing in the National Concert Hall. And I thought, I, I think that's one of the reasons why I loved, you know, Dublin. I loved the accent and everything and I loved the way people were. And it's, you know, it was like Paris where it's a big city, but with a small town feel. And it's just everybody knows each other and it's just, it's home to me. So I, I just want to, you know, buy an apartment and just, you know, or a house and just stay in Dublin. Yeah. I want one of those fancy penthouses on the River Liffey, you know, that, down oh, by yeah. Canal Dock, you know, it's just incredible. You know, it's, you know all of that new places. area, that dock area is, is, is just around the convention centre. It's all been redeveloped and yeah. it's just shiny glass and steel. And you see the boats coming in. Dublin Port is, is doing so well and you see the, and it's getting enlarged all the time. Oh, Dublin's fantastic. Yeah. I used to love you know, staying at the Conrad, I still do love staying at the Conrad from time to time. Yeah, because the, the National Concert Hall did a deal for yeah. musicians because it's right yeah, across yeah. the road. Yeah, everybody they, stays they, over there. They have a relationship, yeah. And it's right across the road. And when I first started, I used to always stay in the Shelburne and then the, the Conrad was built and I stayed there and the the, the manager was a fantastic guy and he, he put me in the presidential suite. So this was like, you could land a jumbo jet in the presidential suite. It was just incredible. Yeah. And I and they had a grand piano in there. So I, I, was, oh. I just lived Wait, there. Did they, did they bring it in just for no, you? No, it was always is, there. It's always there. It, it was a baby grand, you know, and it was fine. Uh, wow. And I practiced there and uh, had parties late at night after the concerts and it, it was just great. Yeah. And now they've chopped it up. They have three suites instead of a presidential suite, but... It's still a it's still a great hotel. I, yeah, wonderful. Working in the National Concert Hall, you I, I've seen many different things, and I mean it, it wasn't you know any nothing to do with me in terms of playing them, but being there to see all these musicians uh, musicians come through, and I I always thought National Concert Hall is you know home of the National Symphony Orchestra, and then I thought oh, is this is all going to be classical, you know it's going to be pretty boring what about didn't you do Shane me? McGowan didn't he have a birthday or something yeah that's yeah. the thing yeah. yeah so many people came through you know and from people from Red Hurley to Albert Hammond and you know all these great people Christy Moore and all these big big names you know and Michael Parkinson you know he, mm. he came in for a sit-down event and you know Rose McGowan who was uh, an actress in Scream and everything, Nigella, uh, Nigella Lawson, is yeah. that the, the chef? Sure. Yeah. Uh, all came in, but uh, one big concert that was just incredible. Everyone was trying to get into it. There was extra security and everything, extra staff in, and it was Shane McGowan's birthday. You know, Shane McGowan from the Pogues, who wrote Fairy Tale of New York, The Christmas Song, all these great songs, Somewhere in Siam, you know, and... I mean, I'm a big fan of the Pogues, but uh, here he was getting a Lifetime Achievement Award. Yeah. I think that's what yeah. it is. He was, he turned 60. So he was there just for his birthday, but he got all these different musicians to play songs, you know, to a crowd. So all invited guests, but also people came in just to buy tickets. But everyone was trying to get in for it, you know, and sneak in. and Because there was a list of the musicians that were coming, but there was also a secret list to surprise guests. 
So on the list was, you know, Sinead O'Connor, Johnny Depp, Bono, Bobby Gillespie, Nick Kiev, and then surprise guests were Imelda May, you know, and all these other people, and Glenn Hansard, who was in, you know, that movie, The Commitments? Yeah. They were all great, and then Shane McGowan came on to sing <sighs> Somewhere in Siam. That was it. Right. Came on to, so Nick Cave started it off, and then they brought Shane out, and he sang along with Nick Cave because they're good friends. I was just this scene there in the National Concert Hall in Dublin, and I think, wow, I'm not even two months into working here, and this is what's happening. Right, that's brilliant. Crazy. Yeah, yeah God, crazy. It's a big right. moment. But that's great. You know, I, I love spontaneous. I know that wasn't it was a spontaneous event because it was planned, but it had it had the feel of a spontaneous thing. I mean, I love concerts that happen spontaneous. It doesn't happen so much in the in the classical world, but certainly, you know, you could be a guest of somebody and you you go up. This wouldn't be in a major concert hall, be in a small venue, and you go up and you play something for somebody. And it does happen from time to time. And I love that kind of off-the-cuff, you know, just impulsive way of making music. Because sometimes that's even more special than when you plan to do something. Because we classical musicians, we, we have to follow the score and we have to be very well behaved all the time yeah. when we play music. But in that kind of it seem, seemingly narrow parameters, there's so much scope, you know, to put your own personality on it and bring your own kind of feeling and passion to what the composer has written and try to explore what did Beethoven mean by writing a phrase like that? What was he thinking? Yeah. How can I make that come alive so it means something? How can I get the audience to be moved and, and shaken and changed by this incredible music? And what what can I do to really make it you know, as vivid and, and as vibrant as possible? So there's tons of room to be free, but we follow the score. One goal of mine to play Vicar Street, I mean, I played Whelan's, which is pretty big, and I want to play the main stage in Whelan's, which is downstairs. But I want to play Vicar Street, the Academy, and the Three Arena. The Tree Arena. The Tree Arena, yeah. That'd be big. Or Crook Park. Yeah. One day. Like the Rolling Stones. Well, we classical musicians, we don't play in stadium, stadia. Concert halls. We're playing concert halls. But something that's kind of like it is the Hollywood Bowl. And I've played many times in the Hollywood Bowl. Played the Hollywood Bowl, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, full house is 18,000 people. And I played, you know, with orchestra mostly. But I played a recital there once. And, you know, it's a bit like the Albert Hall. I mean, it's 6,000 people, but it's vast. Yeah. And so it wasn't, my, my recital wasn't sold out. It was a solo piano recital. And they very, very rarely have those solo recitals. And it was two thirds full, which meant... I still had about ten or eleven thousand people there, so for me, uh, it, it was pretty, a yeah, huge experience. Yeah, but the funny thing is, when you're at the bowl or any of those outdoor venues, especially in America, you know, you see it's it's, it's almost like looking at a mural of a, of an audience in the distance. You don't actually you're so far from them, and of course, it's mic'd beautifully, you know, so that everybody can hear what you're doing. Yeah, but. Uh, you feel very, it's like almost intimate atmosphere. And that's what I always feel in the Albert Hall. You walk and say, it's a very small stage, but it has lots of risers and a lot of, you know, elevated sections for the orchestra and the choir. But when you're, you're sitting there playing with orchestra and you're there at the edge of the stage, you feel you're just in someone's room. Mm. And that you look at the audience and it's just like someone painted that because it's just vast and yeah. they're so far away. <laughs> 
I mean, there's a kind of haze there. So you can't see them. People, yeah. yeah, You can't see the ones in the boxes at the back you yeah. know, or away up in the slips, you know. And uh, I love that because you feel so intimate and protected and you play and you just haven't a clue. How does it sound out there? Yeah. <laughs> but it's great, great. I love festivals. I love summer festivals. Mm. When you play in an unusual place, you're, you're outdoors or you play in a barn or you play, you know, in a, I don't know, in a car park or, you know, and, and they mm. just transform places into performance venues. I think that's great because it really just, it, it makes it come alive in a, in a way that, you know, concert hall is fantastic, but also to, to throw it upside down and see what, see where, it, when it lands, what does it look like? Mm. I, I, I like that. I think that's important. I was meant to play a festival in the summer, not Glastonbury or anything like that, but it was, uh, it was Body and Soul, which is, you know, part of Electric Picnic because of, you know, the world taking a wobble at the moment, you know, had to postpone it. So we might get to play this summer, maybe. Right. Coming. 2021. 2021. Watch this space. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. We'll have to get in contact with them again, but... Yeah, hopefully. Let me be your roadie. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't know what to do. But uh, back to what you were saying, you know, you, you know, you you follow the score and everything, and you know, you, I mean, of course, you would not necessarily improvise, but you won't want it to be the CM every time. No, because you have thoughts as you go along. Suddenly, something occurs you wanna, to you. Yeah, you might want to change just a little. Change it a little bit, bit yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you like that. And if it really works, you try to remember what you did and you do it a little bit similar the next time. And then another place, you may play a bit slower, a bit faster, or, you know, slow down to, you know, snail pace for a moment because mm. it's such a, an amazing, you know, passionate moment or a, a, an amazing sublime moment. And then time kind of stops and you can hear, almost hear, but you can feel the audience take an intake of breath they breathe in and you know that you've you've done something yeah the music and you have created that moment and then it's just incredible you get goosebumps and you have to be careful you know and just keep your head on and uh, Schnabel the great Austrian pianist used to say he, he was a fantastic Beethoven Schubert player he used to say don't enjoy the music too much because then the audience won't enjoy it you've got to give them the music so they can enjoy it so you have to always you know, make sure that you're technically, you're intellectually on top of it while supplying the, the passionate, you know, expression of the music. But if you get too het up and too caught up in the music, the audience will think it's just kind of a bit empty and a bit overindulgent. Well, that's the way I feel about it. I think, you know, it's it's great if you see musicians on stage having a good time and just enjoying themselves. It makes you enjoy yourself that, oh, they love doing this. This is why they're doing it for us. That, you know, in itself is great for the audience. Yeah, um, no, no I, no, I agree with you, you know. Especially when you improvise or something, you know, it's yeah. just they're doing it off the cuff and just, it's, and then you know that's a standout moment of, you know, just this is the only time you're ever going to hear this. Here we go, you know, and it's just, everyone's just, whoa, you know, that's not in the recording or in the, you know, I guess, you know, score or... No, but what I mean to say is, I'm, I'm not saying that you should look like you're you're hating what you do. Of course, enjoy what you do, but it's it's the way the music comes out to the people. Yeah, is they will get the vibe from the music, how you play the music, that um, something incredible is happening. Mm -hmm. You know, because you've been given this chance to 
bring this music alive. It's like a roadmap, and you're 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 being, you know, like uh, a GPS expert. Like now we're going to go down this street, then we're going to take a left yeah. and take a right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you've got to have your wits about you. But absolutely enjoy yourself. But it doesn't mean you have to sit there with a big smile on your face. You know. See, that's what I love about the Grateful Dead. He started out in the, you know, I think it was the 60s, you know, all through the uh, 70s and, and became pretty big in the 80s and are still going to uh, today. But Jerry Garcia, the lead guitarist, he passed away in 95 or something. And Bob Weir, he's one of the singers and he's still going. But what they do is just they improvise every single concert. I mean, the songs are there, but they will, you know, play with a certain texture or a rhythm or, you know, whatever it may be, just and. They give a unique experience for every concert, every, you know, you know, concert goer. And it's just, it's just an amazing experience. It must be just incredible just to, oh, you know, that this is just for this, just tonight. They're going to do this, this way. Mm. And that's what, uh, I don't know how, you know, they, they must build, you know, like you said, you know, you try to remember what you did in the last, last time you played it. And I think that's what they do, where it's just they try to build on it and just keep that going in a way. And that's why I love, I'm always going to bring it back to Led Zeppelin, but that's what they did. They would, you know, record the songs and then that's their body of work and you can continue to listen to that. But that's why they never did really did interviews or release singles or anything like that. They wanted the people to, to buy the full records and if they wanted to see them, they have to come see them live because that's where they, the magic really is with a, Led, a band like Led Zeppelin, I mean, and they would just, if they improvise, they would try to, you know, improve on that in the next one. And that that's why when their drummer died in 1980, they didn't want to continue because they knew no one could catch up to where they were on that, you know, I they guess, a, track of, you know, a long journey. Yeah, of improvisation and, you know, a song like Black Dog, you know, it's completely different to the recording, you know, at that time. So they knew that no one could really follow in any way to know what John Bonham did. You know, that was so incredible. And that that's why, you know, it was so new, unique, you know, for a band to be like that. And just instead of just playing the same song every single time, same way, because a lot of bands do that. But, you know, dare to be different. Change it up. There's a there's a conductor because it gets boring. There's a Dutch conductor uh, who told me I won't name his name that at the beginning of his career he worked with a violinist and they played the Beethoven Violin Concerto together, mm-hmm. uh, and then they didn't work together for thirty years or something, and then they they find themselves playing the Beethoven Violin Concerto again after thirty years, different concert hall. The Dutch conductor and this particular violinist. And it was exactly the same as it had been 30 years before. And that made this Dutch conductor, you know, a great musician, so dismayed. Yeah. You mean in 30 years you haven't changed your opinion of this concerto? What is wrong with you? You Yeah. (laughs) Because, you know, I can't play the same way from one day to the next. I'm discovering something else. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm fantastic. It's just the things occur to you, you know. I mean, you play that Phil Coulter song, Home Away From Home. Yeah, yeah, and we recorded it too. It was great. Yeah, yeah. Love Maybe piece. we'll be playing right now, but um, yeah. you play that differently. I notice with that yeah. one, you play it differently every time. Yeah, because or, it's so beautiful. I mean, he's um, such a great writer. Danny Boy. Danny Boy as well. We change yeah. that every yeah. time. And, Not the uh, same way. My lag and love. I love. My it's lag a, and love. Yeah, it's yeah. a great piece. You know, 
all of these pieces, you know, you, you, you find something else in it all the time. Uh, and it's and open to, to yeah, interpretation and just there's no expectation about music or you or how what way it should be played. It should be if it, it should be played the way it's played and just, you know, let it happen. Absolutely. I mean, music is a life force. It is an expression. It is a language, and so it's going to change. It's like we, we, how we speak or how we act. You know, you're always inventing a new way to express yourself to your fellow man or woman. Yeah. And so it's the same for music. Yeah, that's the way it should be. Yeah. And what I love working with my orchestra camarade Ireland is because we know each other. You know, we've been going for 21, 22 years. Is I love the fact that, you know, the solo oboe, the solo flutes can make a play a solo completely differently one time and everybody follows and I if I suddenly suddenly decide to play it slower or softer they listen and and they we follow and we we bounce ideas off each other mm-hmm. I mean it's a it's a great way to be you can only do it if you know your orchestra I mean you, that you you've known each other for for, for so, so many years things yeah. things happen spontaneously but everyone is in tune you know if you forgive the phrase <laughs> they're in tune with the music and they're in tune with everybody else around them that's great yeah yeah tight-knit group yeah yeah it's great and and just making music this this past summer because of covid we had to you know record and do streaming of beethoven concertos and it was tough because of the, the social distancing two meters apart yeah. but they really did a great job and you know it was so easy to record because we we, had, we know these we've been recording and playing these pieces for so many years yeah uh, and it but just, it looks like it's, it's you know on track to getting back to normality in some way. But you'll be playing in the concert hall, the National Concert Hall, you know, live streaming anyway, right? Yeah, we'll be streaming February and uh, and also in May. They should get uh, some form of audience in in some way, yeah. limited anyway at this time, or and, maybe who knows? And Camerata Ireland will be um, playing with young soloists also, and Clandy Boy will be putting that out sometime early March. That's so great. I'm really excited yeah. about that. And you know what? I think I think I'm getting used to this podcasting. Yeah, well, you're wireless and on, so it's, Wi- it's really working. You know, <laughs> I mean, I can't keep up with you. I mean, I was so worried about you know knowing what to talk about, but I think yeah. it's going well. Yeah, know? and uh, one day we'll have to explain what the hell is the word wirelessing. I mean, people here in this part of the world in the next know episode, it. Yeah, we'll explain it. Yeah, we'll um, have to get a, a really accurate description of what this word means. You know, we we can't beat around the bush. It's pretty ambiguous and just, yeah. Yeah, but we have some definite language because it's a certain kind of person who speaks in a certain kind of way about a certain kind of subject. Without thought. With no thought. And, yeah, and no mindless no, talking. And, just, you know. and, and no uh, attempt to think of a duration limit. <laughs> and this is what we're doing. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in the next episode. And please leave a like, uh, leave questions for us. We'd love to hear some of your stories. If you played, you know, gigs or concerts or, or anything like that, and just we'd love to know your experience. And just if you have any questions for us, you know, about gigging or anything, you know, just shoot us a message on yeah. our socials. And just thanks for listening. Thank um, you so um, much. And we'll get back to you. We, we, we really want to hear what you what you think, and uh, let's have a good dialogue. It's been fun. Yeah, thank you all very much. Yeah. Thanks, Liam. Yeah. Thank you. See Bye. you soon.